Okay, so this is kind of the second of what is going to be three weeks where I'm kind of reporting on what happened and what I was processing through my uh, kind of catching up on vacation time, my uh, short little sabbatical. And um, I've called this sort of series the heart of the matter because it functions as as both a uh, in-process testimony and also kind of a, a pastor's report that I think and I hope will frame a better understanding of who I am, where I've come from, what have shaped me, and what is shaping me, and how I see that playing out in our church, at least over the next calendar year. So it's pretty important. And some of what you'll hear today, if you've been a a longstanding person in our church, might be familiar to you, um, but maybe I'll come at it in ways that it, it sinks uh, and, and kind of lands in a different way. And if you're new, I think this is today is especially important because it's going to give you a, a window into the kind of pastor that I want to grow into and I want to become. And that's really important because you can come into a church and kind of make all these assumptions about what a pastor is and the trajectory that they're on and what they want to prioritize and what they value. And uh, it's really important a few times a year that I explicitly say, this is sort of what I'm chasing and I'm inviting you to chase it with me. So last week I shared what I'd been doing during my time off, and it was really three things. The first was just rest and disengage from work. I've been very tired, and I just needed to prioritize sleeping more and not checking work email, not checking in, not hovering like a helicopter parent with Rick. Is everything okay? Everything going well, SLT? Just getting away from work and allowing my mind and heart to rest. Once I did that, I started writing out in... Uh, times of reflection, the lies that had sort of slowly grown up within me or around me and had started to suffocate and choke out the life of God in me. And I shared a few of those lies last week. And, and they, again, they weren't lies. They were very, very subtle. And that's often the way that <laughs> lies work. You're not consciously saying, I will adopt that lie about myself or about God. Uh, it's much more you begin to become aware of things getting bent out of shape and, and you're just kind of like, what, what's going on here? Greater anxiety, fear, um, uh, depression, all, all kinds of things. And, and a lot of those are rooted to the lies that we believe or have come to believe. And so it's been a process for me to begin writing those out and coming back to them and praying about them and saying, how do I counter these with God's word and spirit? And the third was clarifying values and priorities for the next decade of life and ministry. Um, I'm halfway through my career, God willing, about halfway through my life, and I want to make sure that I'm aligned with what God's priorities for me are. And that takes time for me to actually get really clear on what do I value, because I'm a person who can very, I can, I can be too quickly tempted to think, well, what do other people expect me to value? What do other people want me to value? And I can kind of with good intentions, live into trying to please other people and their vision of what I should be as a pastor. And, and there's a, a light and dark side to that ambition uh, and that sensitivity, but I need to really be clear on what's important to me and what is mine to do as it relates to being a Christian, a follower of Jesus, and, and a pastor, and a father, and husband, and friend. So I summarized kind of that whole process by coming back to Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. I've been trying to get into the space of 
um, coming back to a richer understanding of what it means to guard your heart, that central place that from your motivations and your intentions and, and making sure that those are um, restored and healed and redeemed towards God-glorifying ends. And I thought of another scripture this week to kind of come at what I've been doing from a different angle. Jesus asked the question, what good is it for someone if they were to gain the whole world but lose or forfeit their soul? And, you know, sometimes we can use that scripture to warn people who are uh, maybe not believers and going down paths that are like, you know, obviously destructive and anti-God and anti-life. And we're, and we're chasing materialism or hedonism. But, you know, this has been a humbling time where I realized, oh, you're like, you can lose your soul as a pastor. You can lose your soul as an established Christian. And it doesn't happen because the bottom falls out over one day. It's all these little lies that creep up. It's um, these little decisions to put things off that you shouldn't put off, to, to uh, take on too much. So you're very, very busy. So you have this sense of activity and the sense of accomplishment and life is full but you play out the months and the years and it feels like you're you're actually becoming thinner it's like <laughs> bilbo baggins right it's like i feel like you know butter that's been stretched out too much across a piece of toast and you can lose that sense of union and communion with god deep connection and I've really tried to use that as a framing prayer and intention to say, I need to get better at soul keeping. And we all need to do that because we live in a world of almost limitless invitations to distraction. And if we aren't serious about carving out time, and it doesn't have to be an hour or two a day, but it has to be intentional time to sit, to pray, to allow God's Spirit to teach and lead us, to talk with uh, trusted friends, who can help support us and pray for us to keep us coming back. And instead of veering off to allow God to communicate to us through rumble strips so that we can keep the, we can keep the, uh, the, the misdirections at a minimum. So today what I want to do, and I've listed some of them, what I'm going to talk about in the sermon notes, just so you have them, because I'm going to be going through this fairly quickly, but I want to just touch on these things that I've come back to and said, yeah, this is definitely stuff that has been very formative for me, and that I'm thinking through. I'm very much in process in, in a lot of ways, but it's absolutely core to who I am and to the kind of pastor I aspire to be and the kind of Christian I aspire to be. So I want to share with you, again, in no particular order, but I think these kind of build because I tried to pull everything back to some basics. Um, what's important to me? What do I need to be prioritizing for myself? Next week, we'll talk about what do I, how do I think this plays out for what we should be prioritizing as a church. But what is important to me to pursue in order to become a person of depth and not just a pastor who's busy and keeping church stuff humming, but actually leading in a way that I can say, follow me as I follow Christ. So the first is what I would almost call an operating system or basic line code that is running in the background of my heart that I have Redeemer University College to thank, which is a summation of the biblical story, creation, fall, redemption, and then sometimes consummation or glorification gets tagged on at the end. So sometimes it's three, sometimes it's four words, but 
The, this, this framework is incredibly, incredibly important to me because it summarizes the entire trajectory of Scripture. God is the creator of everyone and everything. And He created everything good. But we as His image bearers, as those specifically tasked with imaging His goodness into the world and living in cooperation with Him, have turned from that. All, each of us in our own ways have basically said, God, we'll, we'll all take things from here. And we have resisted God, we've ignored God, we've rejected God, and that has led to something called the fall. But God hasn't left us in that state. God begins acting, even before Jesus, to prepare a way leading to a path to redemption and salvation. Salvation from the power of sin at work in our lives, pulling us away from the life God intends, rescue from the condemnation of hell that we deserve as those who reject and ignore God. And one day, Christ is going to return. That redemption accomplished on the cross, vindicated and secured by the resurrection, has started, but it's not complete. One day it's going to be complete when Jesus comes back. And that simple framework is really profound because what it means is that is what God is doing in our life at any given point across any domain. Your marriage is a good thing, but it is broken. God invites you to participate in its redemption and, it can, and God can bring it to something glorious and beautiful. The work that you do is incredibly important. It's valuable. But I probably don't need to tell you you live in a broken, fallen world. And that shows up a lot in your workplace relationships and dynamics. But God can be at work redeeming your work. In friendships and relationships, our life as a church, our interface with culture, this is really, really foundational because this is the fundamental meta story of what is actually true. Right? We actually have now a company, Meta, which is trying to invite you into a larger meta narrative, a larger story. And it's ultimately going to be one where you get to create the parameters of what is true for you and you can just live in your own little self-contained uh, VR apparatus. This is the true story of what is. And if I'm not living within this, if we are not living within these realities, then essentially what we're doing is we're saying, I'm going to let the world kind of set the agenda for how I understand who I am, how I understand who God is, how I understand what I should be focusing on in life, and that had begun to happen in me as I got tired and worn out and couldn't soul keep. And I thought, no, I don't want to let the world set the agenda. I want God to set the agenda in my life. And that means I want to be living into this story and helping all of us to see that God is at work in a powerful way. And nihilism uh, and all of the different ideologies and meta-framing stories that are out there um, are, are dead ends, and they're not true. And we're only going to find rest for our souls when we understand the bigger story that we're a part of. That somehow got me thinking about the Wesleyan quadrilateral, which is a fancy word that was coined by a Methodist theologian, Albert uh, Outler. 
John Wesley was a Methodist preacher and pastor, and he kind of asked the question, how do I know what is true? How do I commit myself to what is true? Especially when there's lots of Christians who just disagree on things. And he came up with this, uh, well, he, he didn't formalize it, but his biographer did. And he said, you know, as Christians, we're in dialogue between these four dimensions. We're trying to understand what Scripture says, and we're trying to apply reason, and we're trying to uh, look at things through the light of our own experiences, and we're also looking at tradition, meaning the church that we're a part of or the larger church history. What have other uh, wise, smart Christians thought about these things? And I, I think the reason why I thought about this is because as I got space, um, I realized I hadn't done a good job of helping people understand that this is how we form our theology. I met, a, not a lot, but a few people over the pandemic who were very clear to me that they understood, take whatever, or let's just say broadly speaking, um, they understood what was happening because they had a few Bible verses for me, but they were kind of uh, ignorant in understanding some of the experiences, uh, lack of reasoning being brought to bear on certain things, and they hadn't actually done their homework in terms of how have Christians addressed this in the past. And what I experienced from them at times was uh, well-intended, uh, but it was a lot of uh, arrogance and a lot of closeness. And I thought, when I'm in my healthiest place, my theology is informed by all of these things. Now, Wesley didn't believe that these were all equal. He saw Scripture as foundational. And so it wasn't like, well, Scripture's competing with these things. But he did say we have to become aware of, are we using clear right thinking in analyzing these problems? Are we drawing from Christians? You know, there's a lot of things in terms of theology and life that we don't have to reinvent the wheel. There's people way smarter than us who've already gone through this. So why not leverage their experience and their wisdom and then to allow our experience we sh we are shaped by our experiences uh, sometimes we'd like to believe no like I, my beliefs are just formed by what the bible says but it's not quite that simple because how we read the bible and which parts we choose to really emphasize are informed by our experience and that's was helpful for me too because i realized if i understand that that i can be a lot more gracious with other people and so I just thought about that quadrilateral and thought that's going to be something I think I, I need to keep coming back to so that I can think robustly and thoughtfully about questions surrounding Christian belief and practice. Um, okay, let's go to the next slide. That sort of led me to come back to this spectrum, which I mentioned about a year ago. Um, depending on how you define these words, it gets a little tricky, but essentially you can have a, think of theology, you know, the theology that is formed as people wrestle with scripture, reason, tradition, and experience, it lands on a, on a spectrum. And the farther right you go, the more you lean on sort of scripture alone in a very uh, black and white, direct, immediate, there's an answer for everything, and coupled with a resistance towards um, the culture that's happening around you and, and your vision for the church becomes a lot more insular. The farther you go to the left, the more you lean into 
experience and um, maybe reason or kind of like the ideas of the current culture or age and scripture and church tradition gets minimized and your understanding of church is it's incredibly expansive and open and in the, in the extreme end, instead of being incredibly insular and trying to be its own counterculture community, it, it barely really looks different than any other gathering of people. And I know that the word evangelical is a trigger point for some people, especially the way that it's been co-opted in the States. Fun fact, there are places in the States where more people, significantly more people, identify as evangelical than those same people do identify as Christian. So, mull over that one. But evangelical, I'm using in the traditional sense, which came out of fundamentalism. Fundamentalism happened in the 1920s as a reaction to liberalism that essentially said, well, the Bible's like, it's an inspired book, but inspired in the way that Shakespeare is. It's not God's Word. It's human writing. But it has, you know, maybe parts of it are inspired and Jesus's resurrection symbolic not literal and they kind of undermine the foundations of faith so the fundamentalists came along and said no there are fundamentals that you have to believe if you're going to take this seriously if you're going to call yourself a Christian and then that movement kind of really calcified and got really really rigid around there aren't just like five or six fundamentals there's a whole bunch of fundamentals and evangelicalism arose and sort of the Billy Graham area um, was you know, one figurehead of that but evangelicals arose because they said, there absolutely are fundamentals. We love that. We love the fundamentals that you've picked out. The resurrection, the, the authority of Scripture, uh, the need to be born again. Awesome stuff, fundamentalists. But your vibe is like super harsh. And it's way too reactionary. Fundamentalists were like, we don't, we don't want to be contaminated by the culture. You know, we, we want to uh, separate and isolate ourselves. And evangelicals said, actually, we think that you can thoughtfully discern a way to be involved in culture because creation, fall, redemption. Culture is good. Culture is fallen. But culture is being redeemed in Christ. So why are we running away from it? Why don't we figure out how to bring the good things in culture and strengthen those while, yes, speaking against um, corrupted, sinful anti-life, anti-God patterns in culture. So the evangelicals wanted to keep the fundamentalist heart, but not the posture of the antagonism where everything that wasn't explicitly Christian in this way was seen as flawed or a slippery slope. Evangelicals said, no, we want to be salt and light in the world and love people towards Jesus. And that's the kind of evangelical that I want to be a part of. And as a part of the Covenant Church, if you go to the next slide, this is part of what that looks like for me. The centrality of the Word of God. The necessity of a new birth. You have to be born again. A commitment to the whole mission of the church. The church is a fellowship of believers. Like a real fellowship. The church is not some abstract thing. It's like, what's happening here? And the gathering in person together worshiping together and we're coming together to worship God not just to connect with each other community is formed as a byproduct as we 
seek to love God and to ask the question, what does it look like for us to love each other well? What does it look like for us to love our neighbors and this community well? And to do that with a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit, that we actually need God's Spirit softening our hearts because we're so prone to rigidity and calcification and the reality of freedom in Christ. I want to be an evangelical pastor who doesn't need every single one of you to agree with my take on all these things. There can be theological flexion. And, you know, in my time here in the covenant, there have been people involved in our church that would land anywhere on that theological spectrum. I think most of us are kind of in that evangelical, uh, you know, with some edging around fundamentalism on one side and progressivism on the other. But I've talked to people a uh, part of this church at different times, and there would be representation across that spectrum. But I also need to be honest and say, I don't think there's health at the, at the margins. And I think the health comes from when we hold some of these tensions together. I think the health comes from a really robust evangelicalism. That's what has helped me. I don't want to be so rigid in my own belief that I just come across to people who aren't Christian as what they would think of as like a a Bible thumper, just a closed-minded religious person. But I don't want to be so open and inclusive to any idea that if I talk to someone about my faith who wasn't a believer, they would essentially say, oh, we kind of believe the same things. Like there's actually no friction. And that's going to look different for each of us, but it's really important for me to be honing in on those priorities. And lastly, and this won't be a <laughs> curveball for any of you if you've been here long, um, I want to continue to uh, live and lean into a faith that is integrative and holistic. It's really important to me that I'm learning to love God, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that's Jesus' way of saying comprehensively that the spiritual life isn't sort of like a part of our life or a, like the, the soul, like a little bit of us. And so with, there's sort of patterns of soul formation that only apply to like this sliver of life or Sunday morning. God forbid us ever thinking things like that. But rather the spiritual life is your whole life, the direction to which it is offered as a sacrifice. And I want to be someone who is continually living into and sharing a vision that says the Christian life is amazing. It's exciting, but it touches every part of your life from your finances to your sexuality to how you process uh, what your morning routine looks like, uh, how you uh, operate within your home, how you spend your free time. And, and, and even within those, it's not simplistic. Some of you might say, yeah, it means, it, it means a lot of things. There's creativity, there's innovation. We're at different stages of life, at different stages of faith. We are learning to live into a vision. We're learning to follow Christ in interesting and transformative ways. And I want a faith that is non-reductionistic. And I think this helps me get there. I don't want to be a pastor who's simply telling you, all you need is blank. Just, just be in the Word. It's just all about worship. Just all about prayer. Whenever you hear someone talk about the journey of faith in a reductionistic way, that it all comes down to 
some kind of practice, that's usually a clue that you're being invited into something very thin. Might be true, partially, but the Christian life is about learning to live and walk with Jesus. And that touches every dimension of our lives. And that's a big vision. I understand that's a big vision. And for me, part of that vision got choked out. But I do feel like I'm recovering into it. I also want to warn you that it's a demanding vision. I want to know Christ. Paul says in Philippians 3, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection. And this is coming after listing a whole bunch of things that he says, I had lots of advantages to seeing myself and to being thought of as someone who has immediate access to God. But he says, all those advantages I had in my corner, all that religiosity, all of the, um, the acumen, all the letters behind my name, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing uh, worth of knowing Christ as my Lord. And he actually says, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. I want to know Christ. To know the power of His resurrection and the participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And for me, as your pastor, that pursuit of Christ is something that I know I need to continue to work on. Because it's very easy for me as your pastor for that to become a mechanical pursuit where I fill my week with many, many good things, all ultimately aimed towards glorifying God and loving other people. But then I can move through my week mechanically and I, and I don't want to do that. And the busier I get, the more I'm tempted to do that. It's a demanding vision that is actually pulling me down into slowing down. And I do want to say, if you're finding yourself answering other people reflexively when they ask how you're doing, if your reflexive answer is busy, I want you today and this week, I want you to really ask yourself, what could change starting this week so that that was not my reflexive answer? Because there are things here that are deeply important to me that I want to define my life and my ministry when I'm said and gone. But one of the chief enemies of this pursuit and soul keeping is busyness. Even being busy with good things. So I'll talk a little bit next week about how I see this playing out for us as a church. But I hope that this has given you a bit of an insight into what drives me, what, um, what I'm pursuing, what's important to me. If you have questions about anything that I've said, please follow up with me. And please continue to pray for me that I am strengthened to, to move ahead in this because I see and I've experienced the ways that it is 
uh, sometimes very difficult. But in my moments of deepest clarity, there actually, there's really nothing else I want to give my life to. Like, what, are, what else are we giving our lives to? Like, if we're not giving our lives to, I want to know Christ, then it's going to be messy and difficult. I'm going to need people. I'm going to need to confess and repent and turn. But if that's not my pursuit, if my pursuit isn't the pursuit of Christ in this larger story of creation, fall, redemption, and ultimately glorification, what are we doing? Let's pray. God, continue to work in me and on me and in our church, God. Thanks for a community that is there to listen and to understand. And I pray that part of what I've shared today would be helpful for them and and a reminder to myself of what I want in my highest and most faithful moments of clarity with you. I want to know you. I want to know the power of the resurrection in my life. I want this community to know it too, God. Do what it needs to do. Do what you need to do in our hearts so that that happens. I love you, God. Amen. Why don't we stand and we'll close with one song.